Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. So I want to continue in this series about living from the heart. Last week I started it. I feel like it's almost been going since we started the church, really. But, you know, it's probably my favorite subject to talk about because I see it bear the most fruit in people's lives. You know, religion likes to put you on a track of performance to do better, like become a better citizen, you know, treat people better, give more, vote this way, block all that stuff. And it's like, I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but it's like, why are we doing those things? Are we doing those things because we feel like we have to please God to qualify for blessing? Are we doing those things because we feel like we have the responsibility to do something? You know, I mean, what's the motivation of our heart? And I think, I think Christianity in a large section has missed the motives of the heart. It's missed tending the garden of the heart. It's, it's missed the idea of understanding that the Spirit of God lives within you. You're one in spirit. And the way that He predominantly moves in your life and where you commune with Him is in your heart, is in the inside, the deepest part, or as Ephesians 3 says, in your inner man. And religion has got us, has, has us looking for God out here. God, please show up and change this. Please show up and change our country. Show up and change my husband. Show up and change me. Thank you. Right? I mean, you ever prayed that way? God, just change me. And you're looking out here for him to come and do something. Y'all never done that? Yeah. It happens. But he's in here. It's, it's, and it's hard to get people to take responsibility for the indwelling of the Spirit of God and yield to it for transformation because we live in such a carnal, externally focused society that we think that if we just do better, then everything will work out. Well, that might be true in some areas, except on the inside, you're still struggling with that sin. You're still struggling with that fear, that worry, that anxiety, all that stuff. You still wonder if God really did make those promises. And you still, in your heart, question and distance yourself from God. Maybe you still have that, that sin area that just continues to you know, lay that callus over your heart over and over and over again. But externally, everything looks good. You've heard the stories, right? Everybody shows up, or you show up for church, and everybody, you know, you fight on the way to church. Then you get to church, it's like, hey, you know, and it looks like you got the model marriage, you know. And then you go home, you fight on the way home, and you're, you're sick and tired all week long of each other's presence. I need to look up when I preach. I'm not talking to anybody. But what it comes down to is, as believers, can we live out our Christianity in such a way that it actually affects our lives? Or is it just lip service? Is it just information? Are we, are we really, truly becoming more joyful? Are we really becoming more whole? Are, are we actually trusting God to the degree where it's easier to experience His provision? See, because the nature of God is to be a provider. He's not deciding whether or not He wants to provide for you. It's, he, he can't help but to provide for you. But what's going on in your heart will determine whether or not you'll let Him provide for you. So last week, I kind of laid the groundwork. Um, let's, let's throw that uh, picture up. Matt, if you would, please, sir. And I'll reference this over the next few weeks. And, and really, this, you know, because we're taking a break from the summer classes, we may, you know, we may get some other things. We just have to see where we are in the summer. But this series is going to feel a little bit more like a class. So I'm going to dig deeper, and I'm going to maybe even give you a little bit more homework and, and probably teach a little bit more. But, but I want you to get these concepts because if we can, if we can grasp this stuff then it changes our Christianity, it changes how we expect God to move in our lives, and it changes us. And, and it's not that this is new information. It's not like, oh, I finally found the right church that's got it right. That's not the point. It's just, I'm going to take responsibility over my heart 
to actually believe God because the Word of God will produce in my life if I make room for it. Most of us just don't make room for the Word of God in our hearts because it's so full of what the world has given us. You do it all the time anyway. You think about the world and the circumstances in your life all the time to the degree that it changes how you feel. You pretty much feel what you're thinking about. What if your thoughts were full of God's truth to the degree that it changed how you feel on the inside? Not that the feeling is what you're going after, but that there's just such a natural response of the Spirit of, from the Spirit of God in you that it's, you just naturally live out the way of the kingdom rather than the way of the world. Now, it's already happened to you spiritually. In your spirit, you are one with God. Jesus prayed that. I pray that they're one as we're one, as I am in them, as you are in me, and they are in you. And it's like you're so one with God, you can't tell the difference in your spirit. Now, I'm not saying you are God or you're going to become a God or any of that kind of stuff. I, what I am saying is that you have been betrothed to God. He calls you his bride. And spiritually, that's already true now in this moment. I don't think you can unmingle that either, but that's my opinion. So you have been betrothed to God. You're one in spirit. The essence of the kind of spirit, the kind of life that is flowing through God is flowing through you. And so you have this new heart that has the capacity to interact with that spirit. Because before, your heart was dead, essentially. You know, it's not so much, did you have a sin nature and do you now have a righteous nature? It's interesting how that language confuses us. The actual language should be, you were dead in sin, now you're alive in Christ. Amen? When you were dead in sin, this heart was dead. It was like a cancer within you. It was that enmity against God, not necessarily an enemy of God, but it couldn't trust God. It didn't know God. It hadn't been made like Him. So you, didn't, you weren't connected. It was like you weren't married. It was like you were trying to connect, but you're not married. You become betrothed to Him. You become one in spirit. And it's like Paul says about a marriage, it's a mystery. Two become one. That's how you become with God. And then you get this new heart that allows you to experience this new connection, to, to facilitate relationship with this one that you have been betrothed to. And depending on what's going on in your heart, it will affect every other aspect of your being. So just a little bit of review. In this new heart, it has the, the, the God's laws and commandments written within it. The laws and commandments really are best understood this way. It's just the best way to live on this planet. The law was never what you were to do to become righteous. It was never for that. So that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about now you have a new heart that can please God in performance. Although it should affect your behaviors, it's more about I know how to live on this planet so that it will go well with me. Like when you go back and you read the law, I encourage you, familiar, you know, there's, there's kind of a weird thing in this gospel awakening that's happening where people are, it's like they, they hate the law or something. And it's like to, if you truly understand the law, you understand that it showed us our sin, that we needed God, but it was also a set of civil laws. There were sanitary and health laws. I mean, it's a good idea to, to live according to that way, not to become righteous, not to qualify for blessing, but that so on this planet, it will go well with you. That's what it's for. Amen? Amen. When you live according to God's ways and standards and, and logic, you will experience blessing. It's not that you keep a law and then God says, look at there, they behaved well, let me now give them a blessing. No, you live in blessing. All the blessing of God is yes for you. Daily, he loads you with benefits. All his promises are yes and amen. You are set up for success. But can you experience that kind of relationship? Your heart determines whether you can or you can't. Some areas you can, some areas you can't. And see, what this does is it kind of removes the Jehovah iffy mentality. Like, I wonder if he's going to do this. And, it, and that didn't happen, so maybe he doesn't do that anymore these days. 
Maybe I think I'll believe that. Or it didn't work for me, but it worked for them, so therefore there must be something about me that God doesn't like, but about them. So you're always the exception to the rule. But it's not about any of that stuff. It's not about God determining who he's going to bless and who he's not going to bless. It's about people determining who they're going to let God bless them or not. So this heart, it says it's the real you. Did, did anybody do your homework? Here was your homework. I'll, it's your homework throughout this whole series. Go to some good uh, resource like blueletterbible.org. Search for the word heart and just go through and read those passages and just see. You know, you're not really trying to build a doctrine. You're just trying to see how important the capacity of the heart is and look at what the heart can do and all the function and everything and how important it is. How much? What you find is that you realize even all the way back to the garden, God has been after the hearts of mankind. <laughs> Always, even within the law, it was to get their hearts turned toward him so that they could experience his blessing, so that he could live with them and dwell among them. It's never about righteousness. It was about, no, keep your, keep your heart guarded so that you can live with me. You can experience me and let me bless you. Man, that's good preaching. So you get this new heart. It thinks, it hears, it sees. The real you is some, you know, again, if you didn't see this graphic last week, I'm not really trying to pinpoint whether or not you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body or whether you are a soul that has a spirit that lives in a body. And, you know, I'm not interested in trying to dissect all the what kind of being we are, more so the function of the heart is what we're talking about over these next few weeks. So the heart is where you believe, but it also thinks. You also think in your mind, but your beliefs don't necessarily live in your mind. They live in your heart. So your heart may be in agreement with your mind over a lie. Your heart may be convinced of the truth, but in your mind, it doesn't seem logical. And so there's a conflict, and there's where, that's where confusion about who God is comes in. It's like deep down, you know this, but in your mind, it doesn't make sense. Really, what we're talking about is the difference between being spiritually minded and being carnally minded. The ultimate goal is this, that your heart is influenced by the Spirit of God, that's actually called, that's what grace is, God's influence on your heart, so that your heart is confident in God's truth, right? You're not trying to make things true. When you trust and when you pray and when you approach God, you're not trying to make things true or make Him do things. His state of existence is true. His promises are are true. That is the ultimate reality. The, the God's dwelling place and His quality of life is the truth. And what we're trying to do is get our hearts to just believe His truth, His condition. Amen? So as you do, as you, as you come into agreement with what, with what God says is true, specifically his promises, because we're talking about experiencing his kingdom in this life. You know, the righteousness issue is settled. The holiness issue is settled. The crucifixion and your reconciliation with God, death, burial, and resurrection, all that stuff is settled. We're not, taught, we're not moving those pieces around. Those are set in the blood of Christ. You're secure in him. What we're talking about is you experiencing the kingdom on this planet. You experiencing, and specifically righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm not talking about, you know, Cadillacs, streets of gold, and big houses. Per se, I'm talking about righteousness, peace, and joy, and the effects of that. That is the kingdom. You experiencing those things. So, <clears throat> our job, let's say, as a Christian is to persuade our hearts or keep our hearts persuaded or keep our hearts focused on God, on His truth. No matter what the world throws at you, no matter what you're feeling in your body, and no matter what your thoughts are telling you, can you shift the confidence of your heart toward Him 
to the degree that it begins to affect how you feel and how you think and how you act and then the world around you. That's really the bottom line of what we're talking about. But we have a hard time living that way. Let me ask you this. Have you ever run across that proverb that says a soft answer turns away wrath? Okay, honestly, how many of you ever actually have put that into practice? Interesting, right? Now, that's not condemnation. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to show us, God, if, if you find yourself in conflict with someone, there is a, a factual way to handle it. But we don't do it. Why? Because our hearts, deep down, don't always trust that God's ways will produce blessing in our lives. Again, it's not that you keep the law and then it blesses you. He says, okay, look at there, you did that, now I'm going to give you a blessing. No, it's that you're making room for his blessing to grow into your life by living in agreement with him. So your heart becomes fully persuaded that what God says is true, no matter what you feel, no matter what you see, no matter what anybody does, no matter what's going on in the world around you, no matter how much lack your neighbor is in, no matter how much injustice there is in the world, is that more real than what God says? Sometimes it feels more real to us, and that's where all this conflict comes. That's why we still play around with sin. That's why we still find ourselves in destructive situations. That's why we still worry and, and are afraid. I mean, do you think Jesus ever worried about anything? I just so you know, worry is not prayer. You know what I'm talking about? I tell you what, man, I just prayed all day long. No, you didn't. You worried all day long. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. We'll keep going. Here. The heart, so this is, it says, this is the most important thing. Guard above all else, above everything that you do, guard your heart. Tend the garden of your heart. Out of it, it flows every issue within your life. This right here affects every part of your being. It affects your entire life. It affects the people around you. It affects the degree to which you will let the kingdom grow into your life. So when your heart is thinking in agree in, in agreement, that's not a word, agreement with what God says is true, hopefully what that will do is it will begin to change what you're thinking in your mind. Now, here's how you know the difference. When you are praying or when you have an area in your life that you need to experience God and you go to His Word or you think and you, 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 you pick a promise and that you don't understand how that promise could come to pass, you're carnally minded. When you're confused about God... You're carnally minded. You're more influenced by what's happening out here. But when your soul and your mind are more influenced by what God says is true, the impossible seems logical. Spiritual truth seeming logical in your thinking means you are letting yourself be influenced by the indwelling spirit of God. You know what I'm talking about. When you've prayed before, you've prayed and you're like, I trust God. You can't sway me on this thing. There is no way that this is not going to turn out to glorify God. And, it, and externally, it makes no sense for you to think that way. But the opposite is true sometimes also. It's like, I know the Word says this, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure that God even really said that. Hello? That sounds familiar. Did he really say that? Because based on what I'm seeing out here, see, this happened to me. Made me feel this way. I'm attaching my identity to what happened. So I wonder, I wonder, is that even true? Did he even really say that? Because this happened, and it's real, and I feel it. Which one do you want? Which one do you want to nurture? Which one do you want to water? and let continue to grow in your life. So 
the reason I'm making such a big deal about this is because I believe Jesus makes a really big deal about this. In Mark 4 and a couple of other passages, I think Mark 4 really gives us the, the expanded version, so to speak. And he teaches about the heart. He says, he, says uh, <clears throat> he gives the parable of the four different kinds of soil. You know, we've been taught that, that those are four different kinds of people, right? Like you got good people, you got bad people, you got people that are kind of halfway lukewarm, and then you got really good people. And it's the good people to get to experience. And he's not talking about the kind of people. He's talking about heart conditions. He's talking about the condition of people's hearts is what determines the degree of the kingdom that is going to be manifest in their lives. So it's very interesting. It's a, you know, he, says, he says, how can you understand anything that I teach if you don't understand this? He says, you know, th- uh, this is like the most important parable that I can teach. And in other words, it says in other places, you know, like I already said, above all else, guard your heart. So it's interesting. Watch what he does here. We're going to flip over to Mark 4. But he teaches this parable about sowing the word in our hearts. And he ties it to you directly, personally experiencing the kingdom. All right? God wants you to experience blessing. He wants you to experience what he has for you. Jesus prayed. He said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, you can't get more radical than that. You mean you want me to experience earth like it is in heaven? Really? I mean, what would that look like? Only limited by our imagination, I think. So let's go to Mark 4. And I think we're starting in 14. <clears throat> yep, that's it. So again, keep in mind, he's talking about the heart. And we'll go through and I'll show how it all works. He says, all right, these are... The, Right before this, he says, it has been given to you because the disciples came to him after he taught this publicly and they said, huh, what are you talking about? We don't get it. He says, all right, well, for you, it's been given to know the mystery. Then he says, I am going to tell you the mystery of the kingdom. And then he gives this explanation of the mystery or the parable that he taught. Now, you know, I hope you see how and what a profound teacher Jesus is and how he encapsulates everything in this one teaching. God wants you to experience the kingdom. It depends on what you're allowing to have happen in your heart, and you're going to get more of whichever one you're letting grow inside of your heart. Which one do you want? And oh, by the way, here's how it works. You're not in control over the process. You're only in control over your own heart to trust me, to let the kingdom bear fruit. Your process is rest in me and be convinced of what I have said. So all of that boiled up in this. Y'all ready? You need to stretch. You need to, I know, in, I know I'm in teaching mode, so I don't want to lose you. All right, verse 14, <clears throat> Mark 4, 14. Keep, go back one. The sower sows the word. All right, so the word is what we're talking about. Right off the bat, he sets the context. The word is what we're talking about. Now, just so you know, the word is not just the letters that are written in your Bible. You know, in the, when it says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that word, Word, in the Greek, is the word logos. It's where we get our word logic from. And it's not just the spoken or written words. It's the character behind the person who spoke or wrote those words. So the logos of God is not just what he said or what he, what he has written. It's his character behind that. Like if I walk up to Kopi here and we make a deal and we shake hands, that handshake is as good as my word, right? In other words, my character. That used to mean something, right? Well, your word, my word is my bond. Well, this is what God is saying. The logos, the logic of God, the character of who God is, the integrity of God became a human. Jesus fully manifests the way God thinks, the way God treats people, the way God would live on this planet, the the character and the integrity and the knowledge and the logic of God became a human. 
this is really powerful. You look at Jesus and it's like he's not just God in the flesh. He's not just a, the Savior. I mean, as wonderful as those things are, but you can look at Jesus and you are seeing God in action. You ever thought about that? It's like sometimes we detach the Father from the Son and we think, well, the Father does this and the Son does this. In fact, when you go back and you read all of the Old Testament, you have to filter it through who Jesus revealed God to be. If there's something that happens in the Old Testament that you don't understand, first go understand Jesus and then go back and reinterpret what happened because Jesus is the full manifestation of God. The prophets and all that stuff that happened back there were only partial manifestations. Jesus, as one teacher says, is perfect theology. I mean, that's good stuff. So when Jesus speaks, these aren't just ideas. These aren't just suggestions. It's the truth of the truth of the truth to the core. And he says here that if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand anything that I teach? So the whole context is the word. The sower sows the word. Next verse. <clears throat> now he's going to talk about the four different heart conditions. And these are true of all of us at different times. This is not necessarily believer or unbeliever. It's just talking about people who have faith toward him to experience what he's, his word. So these are the ones... Sorry, I get, I, get in, I get a particular translation in my mind and we put a different one on the wall so I have to catch up. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, so in the parable he says, you know, the sower sows the word, some are spread and they fall into a ditch and, you know, they don't bear. <clears throat> Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now leave it on 15 here for a second. So it's the word that's being sown... <coughs> and it's in the heart where it's being sown. That, that's the whole context of what he's talking about. Now, the way that Satan can come and take the word out of your heart is not that he has the ability or the right to reach into your heart and pull it out. He doesn't even know your thoughts, but the enemy are master observers. You know, if you, if you bring it down to a kind of a practical level, you look at the demonic realm, They've had several thousand years of human history to observe us and know how we work. They watch you. They understand you. They, they know your triggers. They know how to lead you astray. And you will follow those leadings probably more than you realize. I mean, probably, we'd probably freak out if we, if we knew how much we were actually swayed by the demonic. But you just make a choice to trust God, and that stuff, it doesn't even have power. The devil does not have a right into your life when you sin. Because Jesus has already stripped him of any and all authority. You may, in your repetitive sin, choose to look to him for information. And, you know, especially if you have a particular issue that you constantly fall into, you won't know the difference between your thoughts and the enemy because he'll come into agreement with your negative beliefs about yourself, reinforce those, and then the word bears no fruit. That's called a stronghold. That's what a stronghold really is, is a belief, a negative or lie belief that you carry and hold in your heart that the enemy reinforces. The enemy or the demon itself is not the stronghold. It's the lie or the belief. So you get rid of the lie, what does the enemy have to hold on to? And that's what Jesus said. He said, the enemy comes, but he has nothing in me. That's my prayer for you. There's nothing in you that you give the enemy to hold on to and continue to reinforce the lie. Amen? So he can't just make things happen. You don't have to be afraid of the devil because he's beat. He's beaten. You just choose the truth. All right, next verse. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. Next verse. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution or 
we become offended at the word's sake, another translation says, immediately they stumble. And I'll leave it here for a second. This is talking about a hardened heart, a stony heart, a heart that is either desensitized to God through sin or abuse or maybe religion. I mean, religion will harden a heart quicker than anything because you think it's you that's got to keep God happy. That desensitizes you to God. That keeps you focused on you. You become your own God in religion. So in that type of heart condition, the word won't bear fruit. And what it's talking about here in when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, that looks like this. I have a financial need. God promised that he would meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. God, I'm trusting you to be my provider. Oh, wait, I lost my house. God, you didn't show up for me. You have become offended at the word that God is your provider. Persecution in the world comes against you. You didn't experience what God has for you or who God is, and you become offended at him, and it only serves to harden your heart even more toward him. See, whereas in a soft heart, a pliable heart, a heart in faith toward him, whatever the external situation looks like, you're going to experience God as provider. It's just the way it works. It's just who he is. He can't help himself. Next verse. Now, these are, I think this is where most of us live, is this condition right here. And, back and we go back and forth between three and four. This is the third one. The fourth one is next. You knew that, right? Four is after three. All right. Just. <laughs> Verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. <clears throat> uh, they are the ones who hear the word. Now the thorns are what he describes in verse 19. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire or lust of other things, entering in and choke the word, and it becomes fruitful. Unfruitful, uh, fr- unfruitful. yeah. Just testing. <laughs> so the thorns, you know, you know how a garden works, right? If the garden is full of thorns, it gets choked out. What's trying to grow there gets choked out. It's the same thing with the Word of God. The Word gets sown into your heart. The thorns that choke it out are the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of this world. In other words, you're carnally minded or the lust of other things. Now, Riches are deceitful in two different ways. One, if you don't have any money, you're deceived thinking that you need money to meet your needs. Two, if you have a bunch of money, you're deceived thinking that this is my security. I don't need God. I'm doing all right. Either way, you're deceived about money. You think it's your security or you think you need it to be secure. That's the issue here, on both sides of the situation. But can you, I mean, you can clearly see, right, that what's going on in your heart, where your focus is, what you're allowing to grow and abide and dwell within your heart and in your mind determines the degree of the seed of the kingdom that's going to grow. Next verse. But these are the ones <clears throat> sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. Now, you know, we get... Well, I almost almost really went there. (laughs) Don't fall into the lie that some ministries will get you a hundredfold return. If you sow into my ministry, you buy this, then you get the hundredfold return. In fact, you get the thousand percent return because if you give on the seventh at seven o'clock and you write two sevens at the end, you know, I mean, you just get weird with that stuff. Seven zeros, that's the one that really gets you blessed right there. I like the way you think. All right. And the world looks at that kind of stuff and says, I don't want your God. That's silly. They know better. The world knows better. All right. Next verse. And he said to them, now, this is is a little test. I'll make you think again. Uh, And he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Leave it here. Think lamp for a minute. 
What comes to mind? Light. Light. What else? Any scriptures? Your word is a lamp unto my feet. What does it say you read it earlier? It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that I, I might not sin against thee. Yeah. Your word. Yep. Yeah. Psalm 119. <clears throat> we're, in, we're still in context of the word here. This is not like all of a sudden Jesus flips into like mystical revelatory mode and he's teaching on something that doesn't have anything to do with what he's been talking about. He's still talking about the word. It's just a different way to say let the word of God bear fruit in your life. Keep your heart free from the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of the other things and the cares of this world because if you can keep your heart free, guard your heart from that stuff because every area of your life is affected by your heart. Guard your heart. Keep it free from that stuff. Let it be. Let the word of God be in you like a light, like a lamp that illuminates the truth of who God is, that, that confirms to you your confidence that God is true. Next verse. For there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed. God's not hiding from you. God is not withholding from you. The things that you think you don't understand about God become clearly illuminated as you let his word bear fruit within you, as you renew your mind to think like he thinks, all of those things that you're confused about become clear because you get his ways in your mind. You, you begin to think in according to his logic rather than the world's logic. I mean, it's kind of Christianity 101, but do we actually take the time to stand on a promise to the degree that it changes how we feel, changes how we think, and then changes our behavior? Or do we just throw up the little prayer that says, God, I've got, I'm in trouble, help, and then you go on worrying? If we could learn how to actually take the Word of God, yes, Scripture, but Jesus and who he revealed God to be, every aspect of the truth of God, and, and abide on that. You know, it says, He who meditates on the law day and night will be like a tree planted by the water. His leaves don't wither. He bears fruit in season, and everything he does, is pro he does prospers. This is what we're talking about. This is, that's just a different way of saying what he's teaching here. You allow the word of God to be illuminated within you so that you think like him. All right, so, nor has anything been kept secret. You ever feel like that? God's keeping secrets from you? It's like, God, if you would just tell me this. <laughs> just tell me this, please. Come on. I mean, he's not keeping secrets from you. It's what we're letting ourselves see or not see based on what we're focused on in our hearts. Do you see that? I mean, this is a big deal. It's how you experience transformation. We had a couple of counselors in the first. There may be counselors in here. I don't know for sure, but a couple of all the counselors are amen in this stuff. Because you sit in a counseling office, and I've done a lot of counseling. I refer most of it out these days, but you sit in a counseling office, and you look at people, and you think, really? Do you not know that this choice is continuing to produce this in your life? You're so powerful. I mean, you're such an amazing person in this area. What, what are you doing letting this continually come into your life? Why? Stop it. You know what I mean? That's where I go. That's like how all my counseling sessions end. Just stop it. Stop it. But it's not that easy, right? Because like I said, in the first in the ministry after worship, the reason that we still have that junk in our lives and you sit in a counseling office and you hear those people going through those same things. Now, I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about you and your spouse. Your spouse has those other things they got to deal with too. We're talking about your experience of God, okay? <clears throat> you sit there and you talk to somebody and if you understand and you realize that the image that they hold of themselves in their heart is what they are doing to manifest in their lives. In other words, their life is a reflection of how they see themselves. That's why 
this church is always going to focus on identity because as your identity becomes firm in God and what Jesus has done for you, all of the other stuff will change. All of the other stuff where the, you know, religion would make you fight this and do this and let's tie the devil up and throw him here and do this to get better in your sin habits. and It's like, no, you change who you see yourself at to be in your own heart, all of that stuff will change. It's shocking how it happens. And, and you don't even realize it. You just notice it. You look around and you're like, oh, that's weird. I don't do that anymore. It's because you have adopted the identity of Christ in those areas. So <clears throat> if you find yourself continually falling into these cycles, it's because you have this little picture of yourself in your heart that thinks that that's where you need to be. Your heart's like a thermostat. You know, we got a thermostat in the room. We set it, and, and if, the, if the room heats up, that air is going to kick on because the thermostat's set, and it's going to bring the room down to that level. Or if it gets too hot, too cold, or you're following me, it's going to bring it back up to that same, wherever the thermostat is set. Your heart is like a thermostat. It has a particular picture of what you think you deserve. And you're attracting into your life what you think you deserve. Now, do you think you deserve what your performance has dictated? Or do you think you deserve what Jesus paid for for you to experience? Some areas, it's Jesus. Some areas, it's your behavior. That's the reason people do what they do is because they look. It's like, I'm going to go, oh, I'm facing this situation here. I wonder what I look like there. Okay, this is what I look like there, so I'm going to do this. You check. And your heart will always seek equilibrium. That's why some of you, some of us, we, we get into a situation where there's more opportunity, let's say financially. We become financially blessed. It, the people that hit the lottery that are broke, what happens? A year or two, they're broke again. Why? Because inside, that's how they see themselves. Broke. Relationships. You find yourself hurt over and over and over again in the same area it's because you, you have a picture. You, you think that's what you deserve. No, I don't. How can you tell me that? I don't deserve that. Well, in your mind, you, do, you disagree, but in your heart, you're convinced of it because it's in your life all the time. You want to know what's in your heart? Look at the world around you. Uh-oh. There you go. Look at your emotions. The, the, the feelings that kind of continually abide there. Is it, is it peace? Joy? Are you a happy kind of a person? Or is there kind of always that foreboding, when's it going to go bad? It's going really good right now, really good, really bad. But I know it's going to go bad in a minute. Just, just give it a minute. It's going to go really bad. That's because in your heart, that's what you think. That's what you feel. That's what you think. That's what you deserve. I said think twice. There you go. But you can change that. You can rewrite that picture by meditating on what God says is true of you in light of what Jesus accomplished in that death, burial, and resurrection, and you recreate the self-image on the inside that matches what Jesus paid for. That's why it's so important to understand and meditate on and facilitate an experience with the love of God because the love of God gives you a sense of purpose and value. It's like, really, I'm worth that? And, and humility is this, that you lay aside what you think and feel about yourself and adopt what God says about you. To be truly humble is not to come to God and say, oh, I really missed it again. I'm worthless. I'm scum. Hope you can forgive me. No. It's, you know what? I, I feel like that I'm just always going to be broke because my parents were broke and I just can't seem to get that job. But you know what? You said you meet my needs according to your riches. You know, it's, it's a process that you take yourself through, not to make it true because it's already true in God. It's that you, so that you will believe it and let it bear fruit. So watch what he does. It's so, it's really, I mean, I, he's a pretty smart teacher. He tells you, I'm going to tell you the mystery of the kingdom. He tells you that your heart determines the degree to which the word will bear fruit in your life. And watch out because worry and fear 
and money and the cares of this world will limit what my word will do in your life. Next verse. I hope you hear. Next verse. Then he said, take heed what you hear. Pay attention. Be careful. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a promise and a warning. The degree of thought and meditation and, and, and care and trust you give to the Word of God, the measure that you meet will be measured to you. But it's also true in the world. The degree to which you measure or significance you attach to that event in your life will be measured back to you. Then it says, <clears throat> and to you who hear, more will be given. Now, because we're so uneducated in the character of God, we think that what this is saying is that those who do really well, or if you're old school and this parable is about giving money, the more you give, the more you're going to get. And I'm not saying that's not true, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's ultimately saying whatever you let grow inside of your heart, whether it be the Word of God or the world, you're going to get more of it. Which one do you want more of? I mean, it's like, okay, you have this heart. You can let the world affect it, and that can grow into your life, or you can turn toward God and hold on to His truth no matter what. And you fight to change how you feel on the inside to match what He says is true. And then it becomes natural to believe God, and you get more of it. You're going to get more of what you have because of what you choose to pay attention to and the significance that you attach to it. Next verse. For whoever has to him more will be given, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is not God giving and taking. Job was wrong. In fact, he repented for being wrong later on. He didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't know God. God didn't hold a descent against them because he didn't know any better. But later on, God shows up and says, are you kidding me? Where were you when I did this? Who do you think you are talking about me like that? And Job says, oh, I was wrong. All the way back to the first thing I said about you, that you give and you take away. Now, I mean, I don't know, that's like a, that's like a four-week series in two minutes right there. So. <laughs> but anyway, it's not God choosing to give you more or take away what you have. It's what you're allowing to bear fruit in your life, more of the world or more of what God has sown through Christ. So you have the immortal, eternal seed of Christ planted in you. And the degree to which you attach significance to that, you're going to let it grow into your life. Next verse. This is some good news here. It's like, all right, so, so it, he brings it back down now to the kingdom. We're, we've been, he's been talking about the kingdom all along but not just the impersonal, detached kingdom. He's talking about your personal experience in the kingdom. It's very personal what he's going through here, this teaching. The innermost part of you experiencing what he has for you is what he's addressing. Your heart determines the degree to which you're going to let God manifest in your life. So you may as well go ahead and put the effort in to choose his truth. Or you can just stay in default mode and let the world fill your mind and your heart. It's the labor to enter into the rest. So then he says, all right, now let me, let me approach it from a little bit different perspective. Let me put the kingdom period on this sentence here. This is how it all works. It's like this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the seed, the word growing in your heart. Ultimately, this is how the kingdom works. And this is, this is actually good news because I know what happens is we get into this mode of we hear this and we think, oh, man, this is really heavy. I've got to fix myself. I've got to do a lot of work to get my heart believing. It. You know, and you start, it's, it's a whole new set of legalism. Don't let it become that. Don't let it become something that you've got to now do and work for. 
just understand that this is how the process works and the effort that I need to put into is not letting that worry camp out. It's just filling my mind with what God says is true. And then from there, I mean, let me ask you this. What happens when you plant a tomato seed? You get tomatoes. What happens when you plant an apple seed? What happens when you plant the Word of God? This is what we're talking about. This is how the kingdom works. All right? So the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and he should sleep by night and rise by day. It doesn't say he goes out there and he confesses and tells that seed what it's got to become. <laughs> you, you understand? It's not like he's sitting there going and telling that seed, you better grow. I can, you know, I can plant more seeds. The seed knows what to do. I mean, think about this, right? The kingdom, it's like we, got, it's like we think we got to tell God what he's, how he's supposed to meet our needs. No, the seed is in there. The seed of God is all the names of God, who he is, his character. So this is the way that the kingdom works. And this is the part that I like, right? Because ultimately, you rest specifically in the finished work of Jesus. You rest in God's love for you. You rest in knowing that your righteousness is in his blood, not in your works. You rest in knowing that you are holy and indwelt by God because the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient enough to cleanse you and remove that root of sin out of you. You rest in knowing that you have been delivered from darkness into light. And as you rest, that kingdom grows. That seed grows. So it says that the farmer casts seed in the ground and should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He doesn't know how it happens. Next verse. For the earth yields crops, or the heart is what we're talking about. The heart yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain of the head. Next. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What's the next one? All right, then he, goes, then he gives a couple of pictures. You can pull that down. It kind of reinforces what we're talking about is the kingdom. See, you're not in the kind of relationship with God where he's deciding whether or not he's going to bless you this time. It's already been determined. You just become confident in the blessing in Christ. You know, you're not dealing with the kind of God that's reacting to your sin because he's already dealt with that in Jesus. It's your sin that's affecting your heart, and it's your heart that's affecting what you're going to let God do in your life. Never again should you be in the situation where you're looking up going, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this situation. What are you doing? Like, like, like as if you're looking to the circumstance of the world to try to understand the logic of God. It's like, no, look to the Word to understand the logic of God. Look to who He is in you and who He has revealed Himself to be in Jesus. Get that logic and understanding then go deal with that circumstance. I hear it all the time. This happened. I don't know what he's trying to do. Well, why are you trying to understand God, who is spirit, based on a physical circumstance? That makes no sense. It's like trying to read with broken glasses. You can't look to the world to interpret God. It just, it just it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's like mixing oil and water. They don't mix. Circumstances are the least effective way to, deter, to determine the will of God. I mean, I, I want to camp here just for a second because I think this is like sinking in. Oh, that bird that flew there, that means this. Well, okay. If you're confident of what God is saying to you and you're asking for a sign and a sign manifests, okay, I'll give you that. But you lose your job or 
you have car trouble. Let me just tell you, our air broke in our house. This is true. This just happened. This was the la over the last two weeks. The air conditioning went out in, the, in our house. The air conditioning went out in my car. The back brakes I had to have replaced in my car. The CV joints we had to have replaced in Sarah's car. Two days after we had those replaced, she's leaving church, and one of them pops out, and the car won't move, and it's Labor Day the next day or whatever we just had, Memorial Day. <clears throat> Something happened with the house that we're building, and it's like, that's prime opportunity to go, oh, God, what are you trying to say? What happened? What did I do? Why is this? When it rains, it pours. It's like, no, stuff breaks. It just happened to happen all at the same time. I am not going to look at that stuff and try and figure out what I did to get God to make all that happen to me, to teach me a lesson. Are you kidding me? The biggest lesson I need to learn is what Jesus paid for in his blood for me. And that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say that God speaks through circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard that. And so, like you just said, circumstances are the least way to determine the will of God. So, what about that? Well, I mean, certainly he'll speak through anything. But the question, the deeper question is, did he create the circumstance to speak to me? Like, did he create the external difficulty to bring something to me? Right? I, I equate that to boasting in our own salvation. Like, if we think we need to go through something to get something from God, even if it's revelation, then we're boasting in our own circum we're boasting in our own salvation. Mm -hmm. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by enduring difficulty. Blessing never comes. Blessing is spirit. Blessing is a spiritual thing that God has for you, and it manifests through your heart into your life. To say that God is out here and does through something through the difficulty or creates the difficulty to bring you to a place of spirit. Because what we're talking about, typically, usually when people say that type of thing, what they're saying is, I didn't have this or I didn't know this, so God did this out here so that I would have it or know it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like, no, the spirit of God inside of you is in there in fullness, complete. It's just that our hearts are not able to perceive it. Now, something might happen out here that makes us shift our focus and say, oh, now I get what he's trying to say. Not, I'm going to do this to get this to you. Do you see the difference? Does that make sense? Okay. You know, it's like this kid tells a story that, um, that uh, his grandfather used to take him when the fire day, well, I'm really messing this one up. <laughs> I'm just going to make it up. Here we go. Y'all ready? There's a, grand, there's a grandfather and his grandson, right? And every time they hear the fire station alarm, they know there's a fire. They go and they find the truck, and they follow the truck, and they watch the firemen put the fire out. And eventually, after they do this five or six times, the grandson turns to the grandfather and says, why do these firemen keep setting all these fires? He missed the part that the fire started in and of itself, but they're the people there to help it. That's what happens to us. Something happens and we find ourselves flat on our backs, and it's just so happened that that's what it takes for us to turn to God. And it's like, it doesn't take you to get to that circumstance to turn to God. You could do that before the circumstance. God doesn't need you to get to the end of your rope to bless you. If he did, then the salvation that he has for you is based on something that you're going through. As if you suffered enough for it, now God can bless you. Now, you find yourself flat on your back and you draw closer to God than you ever have before. Good for you. Praise God. I'm glad you allowed what the enemy meant for bad to be turned to good. But don't you dare say that God created that sickness so that you would be closer to him. Or allowed it. Or allowed it. It's the same thing, honestly. Now, that's a whole other teaching. That's, <laughs> that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, tied to James 1, 13, and you put those two together, 
And the promise is, yeah, you're going to go through stuff, but don't say it's from God. He's the one that's going to deliver you out of it. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that it's, it's, it's really simple. We can set our hearts and our minds towards you. Let your truth become our inner reality. And then the result is blessing. The result is your word and your kingdom just increases through us into this world. God, we don't want to limit you. We don't want to question you. We don't want to be overcharged with the world and choke out your word inside of us. Thank you for your grace that continually empowers us to trust you. You're, you're constantly influencing our hearts to be full of your truth and be full of your word. I, I, we have an anticipation that when we face difficulty, we can look to you and stay calm and confident and firm in your word in spite of the difficulty. Just like Paul, I rejoice in tribulation. Because I know the word of God is true, and I can stand on that. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you that you're always leading us and guiding us in the truth, telling us what the Father is saying, reminding us of what you've said. We want to steward this relationship that we have with you so we're not limiting your word from bearing fruit. Amen.